1: The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Kenneth Kukie, senior editor, and on the menu this week, Pakistan's army fires up its film industry. The internal compass that deers use to dodge death. And why even poets hate poetry. But first, a tragic split was our UK cover line this week. After 10 weeks of bitter campaigning, Britain finally decided on its place in the European Union. Out of it. Our cover leader lamented the chaos to come and explained how to minimise the damage of Britain's senseless, self-inflicted blow.
0: A year ago, few people imagined that the legions of Britons who love to whinge about the European Union, silly regulations, bloated budgets and pompous bureaucrats, would actually vote to leave the club of countries that buy nearly half of Britain's exports.
1: Yet as dawn broke in the morning after the vote, it became clear that the Brexiters would win and the country would lose.
0: The tumbling of the pound to 30-year lows offered a taste of what is to come. A permanently less vibrant economy means fewer jobs, lower tax receipts and, eventually, extra austerity. But Britain has
1: shown its cards and leapt off a cliff into the unknown.
0: There will be a long period of harmful uncertainty. Nobody knows when Britain will leave the EU, or on what terms. The Leave campaign promised both a thriving economy and control over immigration. But Britons cannot have that outcome just by voting for it. If they want access to the EU's single market and to enjoy the wealth it brings, they will have to accept free movement of people. The hard task will be telling Britons who voted to leave that the free having and eating of cake is not an option. If you're hungry for
1: a little more Brexit coverage, you can find all of our in-depth analysis on the fallout from the vote on our website. As Britain figures out how to settle into its new isolation, we go to our Asia section, where Pakistan's army seems to be playing new roles too. As an article explained, soldiers are moving away from the barracks and into the film business.
2: Pakistan's film industry lacks the size and razzmatazz of Bollywood. This year, Pakistan looks likely to screen 48 local films. That is a record. But between April 2014 and March 2015, India released more than 38 times as many.
1: The Envious Army is stepping in to help, but not financially.
2: Instead, it makes low-budget productions look like higher-budget ones, mainly by offering logistical help and access to military land and hardware. Guns, explosives, helicopters, and the occasional company of soldiers to appear in the background for extra authenticity.
1: For the soldiers, it must be nice to sometimes just play at being themselves.
2: Whatever thespians may say about the sweat, tears, and pain that go into acting, compared with actually fighting in northwestern Pakistan, it is at least safer. So, as
1: Pakistan soldiers try to fire up their film industry, we flip through to our America section, where we find a crisis bubbling under in Brazil. Ahead of the Olympic Games this summer, a financial crisis in Rio State poses a looming threat.
3: On June 17th, the acting governor of Rio de Janeiro state, Francisco Dorneles, decreed a public calamity. It will, he warned affect the state's ability to support the Olympic Games.
1: Looking around Rio, you wouldn't think anything was amiss.
3: Beaches are emptier than normal, but that's because temperatures have dropped to a frigid 23
1: degrees Celsius. The streets are bustling. It is, in fact, a financial calamity lingering behind the scenes.
3: Brazil's recession has caused tax receipts to plummet. Falling oil prices have pulled down royalties. The budget deficit this year is expected to exceed 19 billion heis. That's 5.6 billion dollars, a third of revenue.
1: But just in case any of you are worried the Games
3: may not go ahead... Luckily for sports fans, the Games are mainly the responsibility of the city, which is in better fiscal health. The arenas are nearly ready. So,
1: as Brazil sets about putting the finishing touches to its stadiums, we sashay to our business section, where another Olympic milestone has been made in the realm of 3D printing. As an article explained, a Japanese car manufacturer has just started offering customized vehicles with parts hot off the presses
3: this brings to drivers with more modest budgets the kind of individual tailoring of vehicles hitherto restricted to the luxury limousines and sports cars
1: of the super rich the printed parts only come on one car for now
3: customers ordering this car from their local dealer can choose one of 15 effect skins decorative panels embellished with intricate patterns in 10 different colors The buyers can then use a website to tinker with the designs further to create exactly the look they want. The results are then stuck on the front and rear body panels.
1: Tinkering with automobile aesthetics was previously reserved for the wealthy.
3: Generally, personal customization is available only where money is no object, on cars such as Rolls Royces and Ferraris. But technology allows for such trends to be bucked. 3D printers change the economics of production. Since software, rather than skilled craftsmen working in wood or metal, is behind the process, changes can be made easily and cheaply.
1: So as cheaper customised cars begin to slip off the production line, we move through to our finance section, where we explore a case of finances falling out of a fund. As an article explained, a recent cyber heist has left a sizable hole in the vault and a curious question hanging in the air. Is it
3: theft if no rules are broken? That is what users of the DAO, a futuristic investment fund, were left pondering after June 17th, when an unknown attacker made off with around 3.6 million Ether, an online currency similar to Bitcoin.
1: This fund does not have rules per se. Instead, it has computer
3: code, which is supposed to embody its purpose and to operate automatically.
1: And one hacker seems to have found a chink in the digital armor. The attacker was able to siphon the
3: money by exploiting a glitch in the code that caused it to process the same transaction many times. If the attacker found a flaw in the code, whose fault is that?
1: Indeed, this could be seen more as a case of dedicated diligence.
3: In effect, says Gun Sirer of Cornell University, the attacker simply read
1: the terms and conditions more closely than anyone else. So that's why people read them. In fact, Maybe he's the only person who would ever read the terms and conditions before accepting them. Anyway, as investors grapple with the philosophy of their futuristic fund, we flip through to our science section, where an article explores the intricacies of animal survival. As an article explained, researchers have unearthed new insights into the method with which deer escape death.
2: Whether it is a herd of gazelle, a court of kangaroos, or a crash of rhinos... The sight of a group of animals turning from a predator and bolting in unison in the same direction is one of the most majestic in nature.
1: But we don't really know why they don't crash into each other, so a researcher went hunting for the reason.
2: Whenever he saw a roe deer, he immediately stopped and assessed whether the deer had seen him first by studying where its ears and eyes were directed.
1: If he wasn't spotted, he'd take some measurements on the state of the deer and the environment.
2: He also used a laser rangefinder to measure the distance between the animal and its nearest source of cover, as well as a compass to determine its geomagnetic orientation. Then he crept closer and closer.
1: Easy does it. Wait for it. When they ran,
2: he took note. In this way, he accumulated data on 188 deer. Shh!
1: That's a lot of sneaking.
2: Even when the nearest cover was to the east or the west, the deer still preferred to initially bolt north or south before curving around and heading for the safe haven.
1: In other words, they use an inbuilt compass to know where to run. Fleeing a predator is a quick and easy decision such is the case when a deer wants to flee. The same can be said when one hears poetry. As a piece in this week's Books and Arts section shows, when poetry is spoken, everyone goes. Indeed, even poets hate poetry. But why?
2: Poetry has always occupied an ambivalent space in society. In the ancient world, Plato banned poets from his ideal republic. Today, they have to navigate the embarrassment or suspicion or anger that follows when they admit to their profession in public.
1: One man understands this hatred personally. Ben Lerner is the man, as we shall see.
2: As a poet, he has been on the receiving end of it, but also, more interestingly, he has felt it himself.
1: Even though he is a poet, he doesn't really truly show it. His books suggest that he is uneasy with his relationship with poetry.
2: As a boy, charged with learning a poem, Mr Lerner tried to game the system by asking his librarian which was the shortest. Later in life he confesses that he has never heard what Sir Philip Sidney described as the planet-like music of poetry, nor experienced the trance-like state widely said by critics to be induced by John Keats.
1: Yet all this he doesn't mourn. He sees it central to the art form.
2: Poets and non-poets alike hate poetry he argues because poetry will always fail to deliver on the transcendental demands people have invested in it
1: yet nonetheless his feelings are real he sees hope in the communal bond of distaste that we feel
2: if we constantly think poetry is an embarrassing failure then that means that we still somewhere have faith that it can succeed
1: though if poetry comes not as naturally as the leaves to a tree it had better come not at all I'm John Keats, I'm Kenneth Couquier, and that was our tasting menu. Do send us your feedback via email at radio at or on Twitter at Economist Radio. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.
2: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.